Welcome to the Natural Lifestyles Podcast with your hosts, James Marshall and Liam McRae, where we will be diving deep into the issues of modern masculinity, seduction, dating, lifestyle design, sexuality, psychedelics, you name it. This is the Natural Lifestyles Podcast. Hi there, guys. It's James Marshall, and I'm here with my good prison mate, cellmate, the one and only Shay Matthews. It's all lies. <laughs> They've been lying to you all along. Alrighty. So... Okay, in today's podcast, what we want to talk about, what I really want to talk about is conspiracy theories. Now, <laughs> I've been wanting to do this podcast for quite a while. Uh, I've mentioned Alex several times and he said, yeah, let's save that till after the launch. That's not relevant. We're not going to sell anything. Nobody cares. I'm like, I know, I know it's not going to help us financially, man, but we live in a society, man. You need to get your head around it. So uh, yeah, this is the time in Corona when we get to discuss these kinds of things. Now, Shay and I have been in kind of interesting echo chambers throughout the last 20 years. So all of us now especially exist within bubbles of information. Look at your YouTube feed. I always get these ads for Coinmaster with with Jennifer Lopez in them. I don't know why. But aside from that, I always get videos about things that I'm interested in. Stephen Colbert, fucking Chomsky, weird stuff about gardening, uh, lots of history stuff. You know, the algorithm knows roughly what I want. Uh, because of my search history. So all of us have funneled our way into little pockets of belief structures, echo chambers, where more or less the only people within them are people that kind of agree with you, or maybe they're a little bit centrist, but it tends to shepherd people into groups where they just say what everyone else in front of them believes. This is not new new news, guys, and people like James, uh, you're a bit behind on that. Yeah, I'm, I get it, I know. Just catching anyone up who doesn't know what an echo chamber is. Now, the thing about Shay and I is that because of our work, we're therapists or coaches that have been working with a lot of different men from many different demographics. Uh, we also collaborate with lots of different guys and girls who are in the life coaching industry, the dating industry, self-help, uh, health and wellness, financial freedom, tantra and BDSM, alternative social and sexual lifestyles, right? So we have a lot of contacts in all of these different areas. And so therefore, we keep, we keep moving into overlapping or totally different echo chambers probably more often than most people do. You know, like it's no secret that uh, my kind of ideology and that of the 21 studios are very different, right? He, Anthony is now very happily out and proud, the king of the manosphere, make women great again, MGTOW kind of king, right? I'm not part of that ideology, yet I was part of that scene. I went in and I gave speeches in front of those guys and sometimes they didn't go down very well and then spent lots of time talking to people. And so what I've seen since 9-11, yes, but, but getting faster and faster and more apparent in the last, I don't know, 10 years, is the proliferation of what we would call conspiracy theory thinking. And immediately any conspiracy theorist out there will, will be banging their chest saying, I know I'm a conspiracy theorist. And do you know, anytime you put two people in a room together and they, they talk about something that other people don't know, that's a conspiracy. So yeah, we're all conspiracy theorists and there are conspiracies happening, man. Uh, and then, and therefore, if you don't believe in my conspiracy theories, you're a sheeple. You, you have, you are closed minded. You don't see the big picture, man. You're just uh, swallowing what CNN, what the establishment, what Hillary, what Trump, what, depending on your ideological bent, what the establishment wants you to think. So the average conspiracy theorist would divide people into those who get it and those who are asleep. And then the, and then the evil cabal that's running the thing, right? I, I would say loosely. My big point that I want to get across today, and I'm going to hand it over to Shay in a minute so that I don't just keep ranting, but the big thing that I want to 
talk about today is the difference between a theory of a conspiracy, so let's say the investigation of, the uncovering of, the evidence finding of, and then the breaking apart of an actual thing that happened that was a conspiracy, that was a cover-up. And of course, those things have existed all throughout history and they're existing all over the world right now. There's all sorts of rooms, boardrooms, military rooms, back rooms, all sorts of places where people are going, you know what, if we do this, we get to fuck them over and then we get more shit, right? That's happening. That's conspiracies, right? And that, and that has been proven at high levels throughout time in history. And I'll look at a couple of examples today when it was proven eventually that the person that was running the country or the very top executives or the biggest people in the corporation knew that, you know, the tobacco companies knew that tobacco caused cancer decades before they admitted it. They covered it up. That was a conspiracy between 10 old white men sitting in a boardroom going, well, apparently it causes cancer. Well, we all knew that, but let's just keep that suppressed for like, oh, how, you know, another 10 years, pay them off 100 million and then we'll get another 10 years out of it and then we'll make another six bill. All right, let's do that. You know, that's an evil conspiracy of a group of people that profited from people's misery. They lied about it, it was covered up. Eventually it was found out. Tobacco executives are put up in front of Congress going, did you know it was addictive? And like, no, certainly didn't, swear blind. All right, well, you're lying, but we can't prove it. So pay heaps of money and don't do it again. Okay, that's fine. Right, that's an example of the th- a theory of a conspiracy or what, or what is called in, in um, academic circles a small c conspiracy. It's a conspiracy that happened, it's proven, it may, may go all the way to the top sometimes and that's what it is, right? As opposed to what would be called a big c conspiracy. And this is where all of the ones that you love and I love too fit into. 9-11, chemtrails, Mandela effect, throw them out. What else we got, Shay? Just throw out the list, what do you got? Bill Gates, uh, Soros, Satanic Networks, Crystal Skulls, but but what's, but it's going to be bigger than that. Five uh, G causes autism and. All right, okay, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> That's a great way for Shay to start. So, okay, all of those ones, you know, the ones that we would consider to be conspiracies in the, in the modern, like, bracket of what that means, that's what I'm going to be talking about and critiquing because my premise tonight is to tell you, just, which is not the great, best way to go to, to try and convince someone, but I'm doing it anyway, is that your conspiracy is wrong. It's incorrect factually and it cannot be proven. And same with mine. My favourite one, which is probably 9-11, is untrue, can't be proved, and there's, n- there's no way that we can know that it was an inside job. And people are like, going, fuck you, I know. And they're going to be throwing all sorts of evidence about Tower 7 and how this one engineer said that and so on, but we'll get to that later. That's my, what I, my, I want to be chatting to today because, because the only reason I want to do this, it's not because I just want to rant about conspiracies, although I, I do. It's because I see that the line of thinking that gets you to negate science, all governments, all media, all education, and I know that not everyone does that, those are extreme positions, but there is, a, there is a tendency to ignore what is actually Western civilization. Like, what is Western civilization? It is the advent of democracy in Greece. It's the advent of sciences. Critical thinking. Critical thinking. You know, the, the, the separation of church and state, so the separation of it happened because a man in the sky said it, to, all right, well, let you just do that over in the Vatican, and meanwhile, we, we need to deal with facts because that's what we're dealing with. Science. Science. That's in, my point is that, that, that if you don't follow this, if you follow a line where you let your... You're dumb, and if you're dumb, you do dumb things, and then smart people do 
smart things to tell people and then you gotta pay the price. That's the one. All right, over to you, Shay. So uh, do you want to do an opening statement on conspiracy theories or just to say hello to everyone? How are you? <laughs> That's um, we were just talking about this before the we started recording. Like I was, I was theorizing that modern conspiracy thinking comes out of the '60s. As this is what I'm, my my opinion is that prior to the 1960s, pretty much everyone in every country believed their government, right? Like you know, you think back to like war era, Second World War or First World War era, America, or Britain or Germany or any of those countries. People would get their news by newspapers or by going to the cinema and watching the newsreel where they're like, oh, our courageous boys have just beaten the Germans back and it'll be three months, they'll be home for Christmas. And people are like, oh, great, Susie, yay. You know, it's like what the government said was true. You didn't really question whether or not they would lie to you. Like that was not a, that was not a question except for small fringe groups. So there was, you know, the anarchists or the communist party or, uh, you know, there would be some fringe groups that would say, man, the, the, the government's lying to you and, and the best way to do it is like the Soviet Union or so on. But they were very marginal groups, except for when, by course of history, they suddenly became in power, like the Bolsheviks in, in Russia, for example. But the average person had no... They would be left-leaning or right-leaning-ish, but they, were, they believed the government in general. And if, if they didn't like their president, they still didn't think that that person was like going to destroy the planet and was going to be the absolute antithesis to everything they believe, they'll be like, oh, I wish he was a bit more left or a bit more right. But, you know, overall, people believe the government. That all shifted and changed in the 60s due to a number of events where I think, especially in America, and there was Gough Whitlam in, in Australia, that the, the American population saw for the first time that their proof that their governments were lying to them. A series of events. The assassinations of the, Kennedy, of the Kennedys, of Martin Luther King, Watergate the Vietnam War where for the first time ever a war was televised and previously in the, in the Great War there was just you know, you know a grainy photo of men standing on their horses. Meanwhile like 
carnage surrounding them, but the average person back home couldn't really wrap their head around what it, oh, you know, Johnny's gone to war. Yeah, Johnny's gone to live in a trench for four years to fucking choke on mustard gas whilst bayonetting people every day in a, a futile attempt to take 100 yards and 100,000 men died over three years as they fought, fought backwards and forwards for that one shitty bit of land. That's what the war was. And meanwhile, back home, God for king and country. For the first time ever, the Americans got to see, you know what a war looks like? It looks like GIs burning villages. It looks like a child running naked, burning from napalm. It looks like executions in the street. It looks like forced disappearances. It looks like all the horror of war. And we lied about why we're here. And we're lying to you all the time, and it keeps coming out. Right? So I think in that period, initially the counterculture, the hippies, the lefties, the black power, the feminists, you know, the ecologists, all these people started to, to, to see through and go, fuck, they are lying to us on so many levels. And then, and that entered into the public consciousness to these days where I think, unless you're like a real hardcore liberal or hardcore Republican or, you know, card-carrying Trumpist or card-carrying Clinton or whatever supporter, where you just like, no matter what, they're right, which, which is getting bigger. I think those, those followers of populist leaders where they're just like... The, doesn't matter what he does, he's right or she's right. But I think the most, most people now in, who, have, who give any kind of shit, who are political in any sense, in the sense that they think about it or talk about it, or because a lot of people don't. A lot of people are completely apolitical. They don't care as long as there's food on the table and as long as the world is moving and working. They don't care who's in power, right? And they don't care about the politics. And, I'm not, and I don't even think those, pe- those people are sheeple more than the person that's that's analysing all the time. But there is a large conscious belief now that the government or aspects of control structures are now no, no longer telling you truth, which is, which is evidently true. There's, there's, it's, you can just pick out just from a week ago probably or from a month ago, you could find enough evidence that each government is doing things which include lies on multiple layers and some governments seem to lie a lot more, some governments seem to lie a lot less, some of them have better suppression controls. Some of them are much more open. Right? But, but there's, a, there's a general feeling we can't necessarily trust authority, which I think is good because it, it, that meant that the Vietnam War eventually ended because there was real activism came out of that. It took 10 years of students on the street chanting. And, and that's one thing, I, just as a segue, one thing I have, I think Peterson is, Jordan Peterson is completely wrong about. He's often said when, you know, like a young student's like, we should change it. He's like, you're too young to know anything. You're, you're, you're just at university. You can't, you're not even allowed to be political because you haven't developed your political muscles yet. But, but it was students that ran revolutions. It was students that uh, you know, over, overthrew governments. It's, it's students that have um, you know, actually made real change. So there was, you know, there was activism directed at a specific thing, which was the, the way that America did war at that time had to be questioned for the first time. And it did eventually change the course of the war, right, even though... The, the military and the government fought hard against public opinion and tried to say that anyone who was against the war was a filthy, dirty commie and discredit people and, and cover up the My Lai massacre, which was only one of hundreds of similar types of massacres. You know, and, then, and, then, and then the truth came out and Vietnam, the Vietnam War was vilified for a generation. Nobody, wanted to, nobody cheered for those heroes. Nobody wanted to you know, be around them. The truth of what the Vietnam War and all its horror came out, the conspiracies were unraveled and now we know what the Vietnam War was. However, you can know and then you can forget again, right? Because now there's revisionist history happening where on the 50th anniversary of the Vietnam War, what is the 
president, doesn't matter if it's Obama or Trump or whoever, they're like, our brave soldiers do it. Like, that was an imperialist war. You went in and murdered a million people uh, and you'd lost. <laughs> and you lost the war and you lost 50,000 of your own people. And then, and now you're going to say that, and now you're going to rewrite history to be like, uh, that was, you know, heroic time, right? When it was, when it was clearly one of the most bungled and awful wars of many others that have happened in history, right? So I think now we're at a time where people do question, which is awesome. But the biggest mistake I feel is that questioning starts moving to a singularity point. And this is something you and I have seen a lot when we, when we, when we follow the conspiracy to the end, because I don't think a lot of people do, right? Like, they're like, ah, like it happened on the MMC group the other day, right? Someone put up one of those posters, you know how there was like a, a global concert, you know, the Rolling Stones and a bunch of people like stay, stay home and stay home and world connected. And it was called something, something global citizen. And one of the guys in our group writes, uh-huh, global citizen, huh? They're just prepping us, prepping us to be, um, you know, good global slaves. And then, and, and I went, stop, right? Let's unpack that. Let's unpack it. Because, you, because right, what he did was he's just like, ah, global. I've heard global, one world government, global. Okay, that's, that's a word that's combined with total authoritarian power. Global citizen, uh-huh. That feels like in my, or I can see the logic there, that they're really just trying to tell you, we're all part of the global. You're all just global citizens. Eventually you'll be part of one global. And, and you know, the Rolling Stones will be playing there as we fucking garrote you. You know, that's the implication of what he's saying. And I'm like, okay, follow that theory through right to the end. If you're going to throw that out there, oh, yeah the, go yeah, the government, something, all right, cool. How far does that go? So what you're saying is that Rolling Stones, everyone else is involved in this. They, they made a poster, and they're so smart they're, with their propaganda that they wrote Global Citizen, and that hypnotizes, what, the Chinese, who for the last 5,000 years have identified themselves as Chinese, Zhongguo, center of the fucking universe, uh, and the Americans who are, God bless America, we are Americans. Like, you're going to convince them with a pop, pop music that they're not Chinese anymore, that they're part of a global mass. And you're so smart that the Illuminati, like, slipped that little, little symbol in there and you're the one who went, uh-huh, check, see? I get, another, I get another truther point. I get another smug, I know what's going on point. Well, okay, follow, you know, follow that right through. You actually have an understanding of humans and see how absurd it is as you get closer to the to the to your singularity point which is an ideology so i'll throw it over to you now mm -hmm. well thank you so much to unpack about from that I, mean, I think that there's always been conspiracies happening there's always been tussles for power and there's always been different ways that people view that and i guess maybe maybe you could say that like the 1960s was a time where it was a popular archetype of activism it was a popular archetype of counterculture maybe that's where a big kind of push came out of that and maybe that's also a sort of a, a a time when um, you know there was a like a popular culture that was really starting to emerge that in some sense started to show the the semblance of power because maybe before that like you say for example in the fifties that was more just like let's just be materialists and like accumulate stuff and just be like good normal people because we're still recovering from whatever the horror was that happened previous to that uh, which was you know decades of world wars and problems and depressions and stuff. But then before that, you're getting back into, you know, very early... Feudal, feudal states, basically. ...pre-industrial stuff. And as you're going back to, like, you know, simple lifestyles, agricultural living, people were very um, isolated into small groups. So the level of need for sophisticated worldviews was not really that appropriate. But I'm sure there's always been, like, you know, some Sus out there meditating on, like, you know, the level of an emperor and trying to think about how do you be, like, the best general to overtake a giant um, empire or something. 
Well, the great game, you know, look like the that known as the great game was like the the these strategic chess games between imperial powers, which were always kings essentially, and they would they would either be absolute monarchs or they would have a, a government that kept them in check or they would have the pope that kept them in check. But right, but it was always an absolute monarch of some sort that was basically playing a chess game usually against his own cousin because they're all they're all interbred over centuries so you know the czar of russia was you know versus napoleon versus the the dutch king versus whoever right you know and they're just vying for essentially resource control and and land and then that led to the great age of exploration exploration from the 15th to the 17th century where they sent out in their wooden ships to try to go and steal as much of the rest of the planet as they could in this like race against time against each other, and but it even but then it became like in because Africa was like the last piece that was really carved up. But it got to the point where they sat down and just did it in a boardroom, like you know Belgium was at the meeting of Berlin. It was the Berlin. Can you look that up? Nineteen oh one Berlin meeting of Berlin or whatever it's called. The kings, the kings of Europe sat down and carved up Africa and went, all right, well Leopold, uh, you can. And he's like, I'd like the Belgian Congo, thank you very much personally for me and they're like oh leopold well no one gives a shit okay off to the belgians anyone want to know what leopold did did when he took the belgian congo look it up it's not a fun ride basically he murdered 10 million people uh indians and then forced them to enslave labor to collect rubber um back when rubber was only made by trees and if you didn't reach your quota you would come back and you would find the foot of your child severed and put it at your hut. No warning, no nothing. It was just like you didn't you didn't come back with the right amount of rubber that day. There's a limb of your child, and this is one. This this guy is is as bad as Pol Pot, Hitler, Stalin, whatever. No one no one remembers him. Just remember him, Leopold of Belgium, one of the greatest cunts of all time. So yeah, and in amongst that all that, like there's always been there has been false flags. Mm-hmm. There's been all sorts of nasty germ warfare. Like you know when the when the the Americans settled, the, the settlers settled North America, South America, like giving blankets with bubonic plague, plague fleas example. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a high-level conspiracy or the conspiracy to shoot all of the buffalo to starve the Indians or whatever. Like, the, you know, there's been those kind of conspiracy in the terms of whoever was in power at a general level, at a government level, at a global level, to a king, king level, including the Pope or whatever, right down to the local tax collector who's, you know, conspiring with with the other guy to, like, squeeze people for a bit more like like i would of course you know i would never question anyone who thinks that everything runs well mm-hmm. and, and and that the world is fair uh, and that and that the facts of everything are kind of just out there that they're, they're living in a delusion for sure mm-hmm. and that would be nice <laughs> well i think that there's, there's uh, you know, my point is that, 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 that that's always been happening there's always been threats to our survival and some of those threats have been conspiratorial, whether it be small groups of other people working against us, or even just be groups of predatory animals working against us. There's always been something uh, with intelligent survival skills and working against our intelligent survival skills to try to get stuff. So I think that is a context of part of the human condition. Like you know, like paranoia is like like a biological reason for paranoia or something? Paranoia as much as like I think that it's important to just first of all validate the fact that, that we do have a context of existence where Conspiracies are, are an intrinsic part of the sure. of where they're coming from. Yeah. So that's a healthy thing, and that's. I think that's also something to keep in mind. Uh, and I also understand, but like, to keep in mind when people get 
negatively reactionary to anybody who has some paranoid thinking. So that's the other side of the two, where people get, let's say, overreactively negative towards paranoid thinking. Now, I, I get it that paranoid thinking is something that needs to be checked with logical thinking, you know, with grounded facts, with understanding what, what's going on. But that doesn't necessarily mean that paranoid thinking is 100% bad. So the problem is that people take you know, the tendency to want to look for those predators in the dark, to look for the unknowns, you know, the moving parts that are working against them, and you know, people judge them for that. You know, oh, that's crazy, that's not real, etc. Um, but what we're seeing, I think, over time is, is that there is definitely a, an accumulation of, of evidence to say that there is lots of that that's happened in time. And also, which is kind of a cool point to sort of what you're talking about as well, we've, we've accumulated a ton of information over the last centuries that we now stockpile into the internet, and we can access them. We haven't really had mass access to huge amounts of information Decentralized. Decentralized, like everything, like everyone's a broadcaster. But of course, there's still big players within that, and there's also people that know how to play the, the, the media game too. So they're like they're playing certain angles. Um, some people are just intuitively good at doing that, and they get an edge on other people. And some people invest huge amounts of time and energy to conspire to get their ideas into people's heads for whatever purpose. You know, mm -hmm. positive and negative purpose. Yeah, and uh, like, let's have a little look at that. Like, because when we talk about media manipulation. A, conspiracy, a big C conspiracy theorist would say that all mainstream media is lying to you, right? And so what, what they would define as mainstream media will be different depending on what their ideolo ideological position is, right? Because one important thing to know about your conspiracy theory, the one that, the, if, if, because everyone, I would say a lot of people just have one or two, they're just, they're, that's their pet one. They're like, they heard this thing and they're like, that actually makes fucking sense. Fluoride in the water, this and that, I've heard it. Actually, yeah. Fucking fluoride is poison and I'm never gonna drink tap water again. Right. So that's that's like a you know, a casual user, conspiracy theorist user. Like someone who has one thing, one thing they heard once or they saw some things and they went, Yeah, that's a fact. That's how I I now know that, or I've decided I know that. And I live my life a bit different because of that one thing. And then you have uh, and I'm that. Like I mine mine is mine is nine eleven, like and I'll I will happily admit to that. Like I believe, I feel like I believe that that was an inside job run by Bush and Cheney, right? Because I fucking hate Bush and Cheney, right? Because they are warmongers, because it's absolutely proven that they went to war on false pretenses and that that war in Iraq killed a million Iraqis, right? So that's, that's the fact part that, that, that out of, after 9-11, the justification to invade Iraq was that they had weapons of mass destruction, which they did not. I mean, in, the, in what we call, I mean, they have, isn't it funny that it's like, they didn't, they had machine guns, rocket launchers, flamethrowers, poisons, all sorts of things. They had all the things we sold them yes. the year before at a very good rate because uh, there was a good deal going yeah. on. But they didn't have those chemical ones that burn people's faces off or whatever that they said they did. They should have because we told them. Yeah, we, I, I, thought we, I thought we sold those to them, but 
we were going to go around to that. But they didn't actually have them, amazingly. Just, they just didn't. And they were like, what? But they usually have them here. Like, they don't have them. Just say they had them. We really want to go and invade this country. Why? Regime change because it's got fuckloads of oil. We want to send everyone in there and rape the country. So can we just do that? Can we just hurry that through the bit about whether a reason for this going to war? So that did happen, right? That bit happened. But does that prove that Cheney and Bush took down the Twin Towers because that would create a, a good justification for going to war? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. And I wish it did. You know, I, I want the smoking gun. I want the proof. Like, and people say, we've got proof. No, you don't. We do. What? You've got, an en- you've got 50 engineers who say it's not possible. That's not good enough. You have, uh, you know, a bunch of coincidences that you can, you know, it's in this press conference, Cheney said this four weeks before. They're not that dumb. They don't like, it's not like a, a, an Agatha Christie mo- novel where they just throw in a little hint. You're like, you know, it's so much fun being evil, guys. It's, it's really good. What we should do just to fuck with them a bit Three weeks before we take the towers down, say some cryptic thing in a speech, and then they'll just fry us. The, the conspiracy nuts will get fried afterwards. Because, like, did they tell us? I'm like, yeah, we did, but we only did it to fuck with you. Because, you know, they don't, like, leave little breadcrumb trail things that... But even, and even if they do, it's not proof, right? You, go, you, don't, you don't get to know that 9-11 was an inside job. You get to feel and believe that was, there was an inside job. And that is a, a fundamental difference. Right? Because if we look, and I just want to give you one example of a, of a real conspiracy that really happened that murdered millions of people. Millions of people died from this. So back in the 30s, the Bolsheviks, the Bolsheviks take over the Russian Empire in 1917, bloody revolution, shoot the royal family. Socialism comes in, led by Lenin, Trotsky, a few others, and Stalin, who was like just some dude at the time. They take over the entire Russian Federation and eventually, and they go into a bloody civil war against the nationalists and the, the royalists, and they win. Eventually, uh, Stalin, because he's the most cunning and nasty, gets his way to the top, takes out all other competitors. And so he becomes an absolute communist ruler, but creating a type of communism which is very specific to him, Stalinism. Now, what he did in the 30s was he took all the grain from the peasants of Ukraine. He took all of it and he starved to death millions. And I, can you just check, fact check how many people died in the Ukrainian famine? Uh, I'll give you, the, give you the actual number in a second. But he starved them to death and he did that to break the will of Ukraine because they were a little bit rebellious. He, between six and seven million. The same amount of people that died in the Jewish Holocaust died in the Holodomor, which is the, the deliberate starvation of the Ukrainian population and murder and on many other levels. So this happened. This was, government, this was instituted from the top down, from Stalin down through every other command structure, was to take the grain, collectivize the farms, punish anyone who did anything like hide a cow, send them to gulags, murder the intellectuals, take out any, any thinking part of the society and turn the entire Ukraine and much of Russia into a, into a prison farm. So that happened. Now, at the time in the 30s when this was happening, the Western world did not know about this and refused to hear about it because there were a few brave reporters because, because at the time, the West, the intelligentsia of the West was in love with socialism. It, they, they loved the idea that the, that the, of the French Revolution and then the Russian Revolution and the people taking back you know, the land from the landowners and the redistribution of wealth and the socialist cause and, they beli- and, the, and the Spanish Civil War, like all these romantic starts of socialism before it turned really, really, really nasty. And so 
those champagne socialists were so hell-bent on believing that the Russian experiment was a good thing, and when they went over, they sent over their, their writers or their, their um, emissaries, they were taken to what were called show villages, a village which was built like a kind of like a theme park, a beautiful village with like, you know, everything growing and beautiful buxom Russian uh, Ukrainian milkmaids like scything and like singing their happy peasant songs as, as, the, as the tractor rolls and the great expansion of the Soviet Union, the five-year plan and everyone's growing together and building and data. And so they take the journalists through this and like, this is, this is village in Ukraine. And they'll be like, oh, wow, you guys have done such a beautiful job. I know, I'm like, get out. Don't say anything except what you saw here. And then they report back to the West. And everything's fine in the Soviet Union. It's great. So reports start coming out with some photos of, like, signs over a park that says, like, you know, there is, there is no hunger in Ukraine. And literally start dead, starving peasants littered on the streets. You know, just, like, people eating each other, eating horses, eating bark. Like, the worst kind of holocaust that could be created by humans. And it was covered up, and it was covered up for, for at least 20 years, like more, right? It was, it, was, it was covered up by the Russians, of course, but it was also covered up by those who, who, at the time, it suited them to say that the Russian experiment was a good thing, right? This was a conspiracy on a grand global scale that cost the lives of 7 million people, right? But it, wasn't, but it doesn't connect to a cabal of Jewish moneylenders and lizard men and aliens that also then connects over to every other thing that happened in the world because it all has to combine into one thing. And I'll let you take over in a second, Shay, but I just want to get to my point, which is I think what, what, what you're talking about, Shay, whether like we are going through this kind of explosion, like the hundred flowers bloom thing, you know, like uh, that's, that's another historical reference. But like where like, okay, it used to be information came from TV newspapers and newsreels and books if you could if you were someone who would research and what research really meant was you know finding obscure writers and like your the bookshelf you used to have which were books i remember you having books which you couldn't find anywhere else because you'd hunt them down to the most obscure bookshops and like so someone who really wanted to research a historian an anthropologist a sociologist a travel writer someone who went to places and learned and got primary sources maybe they could get like a bigger picture like that reporter that went over to the Soviet Union in 1933 and went, whoa, actually, you know what's going on here, really? But for the most part, people couldn't access that. Then we moved into the, like, the VHS, you know, mass production magazine era or whatever, which then opened their things out more. And now you're right that the internet has now exploded what is possible in terms of truths or theories or, or, or first-person information. Like, isn't it amazing that I had a guy write to me from Iran yesterday and he's like, hey man, stuff's tough here and thanks for that video and, you know, really made a difference. I'm like, okay, cool, but like, tell me what the fuck it's like being alive in Iran right now as a critical thinker, you know? And then like the fact that he and I can have a discussion was unheard of 30 years ago, right? So that's awesome. But the danger of that, what I feel like the danger, and this probably comes back to like some form of human nature is that humans need... They love creating patterns. They don't like chaos, right? Like every, every culture has created a reason why the sky comes up, a, a creation myth. Like no one didn't bother, right? No tribe went, nah, why are we here? Nah, who cares? We're just here. Like everyone was like, we, gotta, we need to rationalize and justify. So the reason the sun comes up is because this God does that. And, you know, they create a story. And I feel like what's, I feel like, no, my evidence suggests that, with the explosion of, let's say, counter-mainstream um, narrative thought, 
comes out all of this awesome stuff, including you know critical thinkers like Piketty and Noam Chomsky and P.J. O'Rourke on the right and like all sorts of George Carlin and Louis C.K. and fucking all sorts of great critical thinkers, whether they're comedians or musicians or Bob Dylan or like people who went, there's injustice here. The, the government is doing this specific thing wrong. They, they're sending troops into Guatemala and they're paying for it with the, the money that they earned from selling arms to the Iranians. You know, that's a real thing and that's, not, that's wrong and we should fight against it, right? So that's where like knowing some levels of truth leads to maybe some kind of activism or at least some consciousness that you're not perpetuating the lies. But the problem comes that people are not satisfied with that. They're not satisfied with, if you're a conspiratorial thinker, you're not satisfied with going, let's, let's have one more example before I hand it over to Shay. The opioid in ep- epidemic in America, which is massive. Can you, can you tell me the number of people that are uh, addicted to opioids in America at the moment? So opioids, which are essentially like, like heroin, right, in the same forms of chemicals. Obviously, I don't know exactly how it's, <laughs> what's going on biochemically, but it has similar effects and extremely addictive, and it's used as, as, as a painkiller. And it does. It takes the pain away because people use that when you get shot in war. They get sh- shoot you with morphine or an, an opioid derivative because it just numbs the, the pain sensors. So it works in that sense, but it's extremely addictive. And so it's not used very often. It's used when someone has their arm blown off or when they really need pain they have in the middle of childbirth or something, and they need that. But what happened in recent years is that one, specifically one company, Purdue Pharma, which invented a type of opioid and then and then sold it, and then started seeing that war veterans, poor people, drug-addicted people, uh, people with chronic illnesses and pain, get addicted to this stuff really, really strongly, and they have to have it, and they can make a fuck ton of money by selling painkillers to people. So way more... How many? Around 2 million. So that's some, close to 1% of the... Close to the 1% of the American population. So they realised that this was extremely addictive. They sent their representatives, like they would send around pharma reps to, to each pharmacy and go, okay, you're selling enough of the Purdue number 42. It's great for you, great for me. Here's a little kickback. And pharmacists are like, oh, shit, yes or no. Some of them are like, I don't want to do that. Others do, do. And they, people, people comply or turn a blind eye or get involved in it at some level. You know, the good people ignore it. The bad people profit off it. And the other ones in between just go, oh, I've got a job to do, right? Cool. What's the effect that that has? It means that within a small number of years, you have huge numbers of people. How many people die of opioid-related uh, deaths in America each year? Uh, huge numbers of people die from this drug, and they're extremely addicted to it. And that company knew early on that it was super addictive. The point being is that, like the tobacco companies back in the whatever 70s or 80s, they knew the detrimental effects of that specific drug, they peddled it anyway and they pushed it as hard as they could knowing that, and then they got into the business of rehab. That's like the, the sick thing, you know, they were like, as, as the government started trying to clamp down and not let you sell opioids to a 15 year old who's feeling a bit sad, you know, prescribing them the most heavy duty opioids because like, oh, like oh, I feel a bit anxious. Yeah, cool, take all those. And the mother's like, should I really be? Yes, just feed it to the kid and come back next week. When they couldn't do that so much, then they get into the how do we cure this? And so we start selling cures to opioid addictions, right? So that's pure rapacious corporate greed, which is a conspiracy within that company. And then there's other people that are complicit, which is you know the pharmacists here and the, and the FDA there and, and, and various other elements 
that either didn't do their job very well or turned a blind eye or profited from this. Right? So what I'm saying is that if, you're, if you want to be a, an, an activist, you want to make a change in the world, sure, you need to understand how certain levels of truth work, but then at some point you actually have to do something. Otherwise, you're doing fuck all except just talking to a camera like I am. <laughs> so that pharmacist in that, that cool Netflix story, he eventually was instrumental in, in making Purdue Pharma pay, not the only person, the FBI and various other people were involved, but he was instrumental in meaning that those cocksuckers had to pay something you know, so they, and they had a big payout. How much did Purdue, Purdue Pharma pay? P-U-R-D-U-E. How much did they, were they fined? So they had to pay out, you know, a big thing and they have to change their practices to some degree. That, cons that uncovering of a, con of a conspiracy, a real one, led to a change that will save lives and make, maybe make one corporation not make so much evil money. That's one way of doing it. But that's not what happens with conspiracy theorists. What they do is they go, all right, that happens, right? So there's an opium, opioid epidemic. There is lots of cancers happening. There is, in China, they're using surveillance state stuff that would make George Orwell just disintegrate, even just hearing about it. That's how fucked up it is. Uh, what's some other ones that they would draw connections to? Uh, they're, they're, they're building 5G towers. Six, okay, Purdue had to pay 600 million in fines. They're like, whatever, small change. But okay, well, all right, we'll stop now because we have to. Right? But the problem is conspiracy theorists are always ideological. There is always an ideology behind it. And even if you don't know there's an ideology, it doesn't mean there isn't one. Because that's a mistake that the, the, the useful idiot conspiracy theorists are doing is that they're peddling a theory which they don't realize at the top is deeply anti-Semitic or deeply Marxist or deeply like rapacious capitalist, right? Because once you start following the conspiracy all the way to the end, you see, what is at the end of the conspiracy? There is an ideology, not just a truth, an ideology. So I guess the way that I look at it is that there's, uh, there's the actual territory of, of what we're dealing with, which is always context dependent. It depends on time and place and position and person and all that sort of stuff. And yes, there's a lot of different things that are happening in the reality, the territory. And then there's our, our processing, you know, our meaning-making, orientating, decision-making, like set of, of understandings that go over the top of that. And I think it's very important to create a distinction between those two facts of reality. You know, there is a, there is a thing, and then there is a, a relationship to a thing. An objective fact, as much as we can say anything is objective, because, like, nothing's real. But, yes, like, okay, the tree is there, right? But then you're talking about the interpretation of, of, of what I heard about that. It has to come back to the fact that, like, you're an individual inside the world and you're trying to orient stuff. You know, you're trying to work out what the truth is, you're trying to work out what helps you survive, you're trying to work out what doesn't give you pain, you're trying to work out, you know, what helps your things that you are, the value of importance. Right. And uh, there's a whole set of systems around that. And we didn't just also just pop out of nothing with everything that we have. We evolved through, you know, huge grueling periods of time against many, many odds to come to, like, the, you know, the patterns of survival that we are built out of and that's biologically set inside of us it's you know there's neurological tendencies there's um, genetic memories there's you know a whole bunch of different things that that affect us uh, and how we see the world and to some degree some of those things are pretty hard wide like they're part of the hardware uh, now that doesn't mean that we're necessarily like limited because we can work around them and understand them in different ways and we can uh, maybe augment them in various ways with tools and understandings um, but we're sort of limited by the blind spots of those things. Just on that, it's, it's interesting that, like, I would say humans are hardwired for kind of um, blind belief 
and they're also hardwired for skepticism, right? In the sense that like throughout history, it was usually like every tribe didn't sit down and like deconstruct their creation myth every generation, right? They just were like, okay, here's, here's how things work around here. There's no other memes to compete with, right? So you're just like, son, this is how things are. You're like, okay, dad, cool, I got it. And the fact that I don't question you is beneficial to the group, right? Because it means that if I say, well, maybe that's not really a God, then I start doing things in a different way in the culture and I start fracturing the way that the culture works and maybe I want to go off to India, man, and like find myself. Um, that doesn't help. So we've always followed the leader in the sense that we're like, okay, biggest, loudest, most convincing something there, I follow that. But then we do have a capacity for skepticism, but maybe I wonder if that's only been aroused when, when cultures come into contact. Like, because that's where delusions gets popped. You know, when the conquistadors arrive and the Indian is standing watching and over a day or two they figure out that this stick that they hold kills people and that they want our gold and whatever, they, they have to rethink their entire worldview because these cultures now meet, whereas previously you didn't. So I'm wondering, like, in some ways, maybe like this, you know, it's just a speculation, but maybe humans' ideal natural state is to be delusionally believing whatever is in front of them and to not have to deal with any other version of that because it makes them very unsettled and feel very uncomfortable when someone comes in and goes, oh, yeah, we've got a God too. What? Yeah, he's, he's got a, he's got a, his ears are a bit bigger than yours. You're like, what? Nah, I'll kill him because I can't handle the dissonance. Like, that's what we, we we're living in this, like, fever pitch version of that now where it's like new ideologies and cultures and, and the combinations of them, the mutations of them getting, are getting born and dying all the time. And people are... Like some people, you know, people either find their lane. I am a Christian Republican. I am a Muslim something. I am a, you know, Hasidic Jew. And I'm, I stay in my lane and everything else I just blind out. Or if you're like a critical thinker, but that means I would say just someone who hasn't like chosen their hill to die on yet. It's overwhelming, right? Because it's just like this tidal wave of people saying they're right. <laughs> and how do you, that's the question I ask you is like, how do, how do people sift through? Because you could, you could waste your entire life on the wrong thing, right? You can find a, an ideology which is incorrect, damaging, toxic, uh, just, just flat out wrong, and, you could be, and someone's convincing you, you can follow it and you can spend your whole life and waste your life as, as people who came out of the Nazi regime realised that they'd had 10 years of their life where they were lied to. They, did, they, they ripped you know, everything that was human away from them and replaced it with an ideology. And at the end, they were lied to and they felt, you know, what would it feel like to have to, to know that you were scammed that way? So how do people sift through information without becoming like a hardcore conspiracy ide ideologue or without giving up and just going, oh, fuck, I'll just watch, you know, Fox or CNN or whatever it is they feed me and I'll just go, okay, yes, daddy. Well, it's a great point. And one thing, like, because I, I, I spent a couple of hours in prep for this just kind of thinking about, you know, conspiracies, conspiracy thinking constructs, what is going on to sort of affect us in that perspective. But what I came back to was a really key point, which is that for us to have any semblance of anything, of any meaning, is we need to have some centre to stand on, some position. Now, if we really boil that down, the most fundamental position is you're alive, so you exist. That's number one. Now, beyond that, we need to start extrapolating some levels of meaning, right? So if we want to then employ what we could say is a more or less much more modern and sophisticated worldview, we could say, okay, I'm a biological entity existing inside a series of complex emergent systems that are interdependent on each other. 
and there's there's chaos theory and there's multiple layers of evolutionary processes there's hierarchies there's there's all this stuff and then really when you look at this the body of that understanding like to to come to an understanding like that has taken countless generations of people uh, countless scientists, countless people devoting their time to truth and trying to get to the honest root of what's coming into some level of understanding of reality to boil down to now we can like, you know, peer-reviewed studies say that reality is connected. Uh, and uh, I mean, I'm sure everybody fundamentally understands that on an intuitive level. And that's also something interesting too, because that is actually one of our fundamental truths of where we come from. Then we do intuitively understand. Which is that we're connected, you mean? Or that, or that all systems are interconnected? We're alive, yeah. We're part of some kind of living system, right? Yeah. Now, obviously, there's a lot of adulteration and distortion and things that happens pretty quickly. But I guess my point is, is like, you, we need a center to begin from. And also, the funny thing is, is that center is reoccurring because at some point you need to be referencing something to have a position, to have an opinion. It's kind of like what you're saying with any, any thinking including conspiracy, it has an ideological underpinning. It has to. Even if it's, you know, I'm a-ideologically positioned, then you're still uh, taking some kind of, you know, non-ideological position of a position. So there's no, there is no non-position that exists. Yes, but there's def- I would say there's a big difference between someone who believes the Protocols of Zion, right? Sure. So that's that old book which basically said that there was a, a bunch of Jews who were working to destroy civilization to create... For their evil ends, right? right? And so, and that was, you know, that was an old conspiracy theory which the Nazis used, and then it's been trotted out multiple times. Right. So, if you take four steps down that conspiracy ladder to where so, someone, a casual user, comes in contact with the idea that leads up to that one, which is, you know, Jewish bankers, you know, you know, Jewish bankers run the world, right? Like, or something like that, right? So that's that's the, and or like, oh, did you notice that all of the? It'd be more like. Well, notice that the leaders of this bank, this bank, and this bank all have Berg in their, or you know, they're all Jewish. Jewish, so you know what that means. Therefore, that the implication, if you follow the conspiracy to the end, the idea, the ideology at the end is Jews are evil, and and therefore, what happens when you think people are evil, and that you know can lead to justification for violence, of course, right? So, I would say that's very different because that is an ideological position which affects reality and people's lives. It, as opposed to, I, I try to avoid holding an ideological position, and that is an ideology, right? But it's, but I would say that's much more benign, right? Understood. So I guess the point is that we still need a position to come from, whatever that position is. And uh, as we, like, we have to be aware, and this is something that trips me out constantly in my own personal subjective experience, and I see it constantly play out on everybody all the time, is that um, a huge part of your experience is built out of these proto-levels of perceptual systems. So what that means is you're very much still driven by a lizard brain, you're very much still driven by a mammal brain, and then you have all this human like meaning and understanding and, and like identification of identity, etc. that's built out of that. But none of that, yet again, comes out of nothing. So what that means in practical terms is that, is that there's, a, there's a whole ton of non-linguistic, deeper, cognitive, like feeling-based processes that are going on inside of you that are telling you what reality is, which are just the best shot that nature could take at trying to deal with chaos in a very difficult period of time, which went on for millions of years of trying to get, you know, a, a, 
a living thing to live and to evolve into mammalian slash, you know, group slash human slash whatever level of iteration that we're at right now. So the point is, is that now that we get to sit here like these, you know, like these highly intelligent, like self-reflective, you know, beings, the funny thing is that we're still carrying a lot of this proto, like, thinking with us. And, and the point of that is... is that so it it's just on, as a kind of draw that back, what you're saying is like, for example, okay, because we have the lizard stem in there, we are, we are prone to quick fear well, let's at something that... Very that, practical levels, right? So yeah. what that means very practically is that when you are put into a position where you feel like you don't have control over your reality on some level, could even just be like a simple thing. You're in a nightclub, you're hanging out with your crew, and all of a sudden some alpha dude comes in and throws the whole like the whole dynamic off where you're not oh, a dude who's in the center it. of attention, and all of a sudden all the girls are going away from oh, you. Oh, I hate that like, guy. So, for example, that's a simple example, but your your agency has been removed, right? Your power has been removed. So what are you going to do? Well, what the proto brain does is start looking and scanning for what is the reason that happens. And it has to create some plausible, some plausible answer. And I mean, for example, two primary answers is either you know something to do with you or something to do with an other. So obviously, you're blunt, who's to blame? What's to blame on the outside? You know, well, he's got big muscles, or he's tall, or he's black, or he's this, or he's that, or whatever it is that you're not. So then it justifies your position. Then you've got something to hate. You've got something to target. You've got something to make sense of why it didn't go right. Or the society, like where like superficial people coming to these clubs to something, and you know good guys like me don't get a chance and it's all bullshit and money, that kind of thing? Exactly. So there's, there's, there's a, like a need for, there's a need for a position of power in your life, which makes sense because survival is very much related to power. Like, are you in a position of authority over your reality or not? If you're not, you probably want to try to work it out pretty quickly because otherwise you're going to be either uncomfortable at best or dead at worst. Hmm. So... We've got to work it out. And this is proto- very dead at double worst. So this is proto-technology of our consciousness. You know? and, and so the point is it tries to make sense of the world. And what that often does is, if, especially if we're in a position where our, our agency has been affected by something that is complex or non-local or uh, ongoing, then we start generating a lot of different interpretations of, yeah. of where that power that has been taken away from us has gone and who or what has controls that. And what against again, go back to the proto days, it's like, well, it must be this spirit or that evil sorcerer or, you know, this thing that's happened to me that's caused this problem. Uh, so that's, that goes deeply rooted into us and that's been around for hundreds if not millions of years. Yeah. You know? I don't know, do dogs do that? I don't know, some mammals have some level of trying to like oh, understand. Paranoia, and when the, when the thunder crack, crack, clacks, they're like, oh, I'm a bad boy. If he took his food away, you know, when he thought he had his food, if he'd be like looking around confused and trying to blame the man for that. Let's you know? see if we can get him to create a religion or a conspiracy theory. I think that you've hit on like a core reason why these theories are addictive to people and why they, why they are so attractive to people yeah. is it's because it's really hard to handle the fact that life is chaos. Like that it is, that the interconnectedness of it, which it is all interconnected, but it's way, way more complex than you can wrap your head around. And so like when, when, I, when people start talking about how at the, at the top there's a cabal they, and, and they say it in this way like cabal, like we know. I'm like, yeah, dude. Which is interesting because I'm an OG conspiracy theorist. I know you are, I remember. I remember. Like the, I mean, when you say OG, Man, I was looking at conspiracies back then. It was just chat boards. I know. And I remember it was you no being. Cabal, 
Right. There's such a thing as a new world order, you know, and there was inklings of the Illuminati, which goes back to the 60s and probably even back to the 1500s or whatever. To the Knights of Malta. There was, you know, yeah, it's, all, it's interesting to see how the proliferation of certain memes and, and, you know, like new ways of expressing the same ideas in popular ways start coming out. Right. Yes, it's, it's like they, um, and now they, it's like, I, I think of conspiracy theories as like they're, they're kind of like a Netflix show that's like using up storylines and as they use them up they like have to draw back from the past and go oh can we just rewrite that whole bit as well because we're running out of shit to make conspiracies about because this is another critique i have of conspiracy theorists is that they're addicted to the next one they're not they're, i've uh, occasionally you'll meet someone who's like really hardcore into only one right like they're the, they're the anti-vaxxer or the truther that like stands outside the twin the whatever's instead of the twin towers now i can't remember i've been there the hole in the ground. He's there, he'll, he'll be there for years, right? And that's he's gone. He's that's his one. But most uh, most people don't do that. They right now it's five G coronavirus vax. If you're in the, if you're in the know, if you're a truther in the know, what I guarantee that will be not the one in a year's time. It will be because that will be passe. Because I know this because Sasha, who is one of my greatest friends, but who is reaching a point where we can't have a discussion about politics anymore. <laughs> But, you know, I, I remember him rolling out, like, when, when I was in Miami four years ago or something, yeah, four or five years ago, and it was the time when I it was the swine flu. I think it was that flu, one of the, the avian flu or swine flu. And I remember we were in America, and Sasha shows me these photos of, like, what he says is a FEMA camp. This is, it's like, it's happening. They're, it's popping off. The constant, they're building the camps. And so it was like, swine flu is fake. It's been here to make people scared so they can build these huge concentration camps that, that FEMA says they run, but they're actually run by the whatever New World Order. And then what, they're going to shepherd everyone in there and start vaccinating them or killing them or whatever or whatever. He's like, that's it, it's happening. I was like, okay. And then, you know, I forgot about it. And then a year later, I was like, whatever happened to the FEMA camps and the swine flu? And, you know, I asked Asher and then he's moved on to the next thing, the next one, right? They're, they're addictive in the sense that the hit you get out of them is that you get to feel like you know something that other people don't know. You get to be on the cutting edge of that secret gossip, right? And 10 years ago, not that many people knew about it. And so they had, I mean, you know, we would meet them and they'd be like, you know what really happens? It's this and that and that. And like, boom, it like tr just dropped a truth bomb. And you're like, okay, I haven't heard that before. Yeah, I see your logic. I'm going to do some research. Actually, I see some, you know, that was what it was. Now it's like, even they're talking about it on mainstream news. It's boring. It's like like your your conspiracy theories are not cachet anymore. They're not cool. You don't know any. You don't know. You don't even know misinformation that other people don't know. You just know, and so like you, you da, 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 oh, it's all ties together. It was it was built in a bio lab, and you know new old order. Bam. All right, that's boring. All right, what's the next one? Oh, did you know? It turns out, and it it always turns out. How's it turn out? Because some guy said something. And, and you look at someone like Alex Jones, when you're like, what, what are your sources? And he's like, I've got, I, I've got inside level guys, guys who are top level something, come and tell me this kind of stuff that nobody else knows. Oh yeah, that sounds like a priest going, oh, God comes and tells me things and then I tell you what to do. It's like, where are your sources? Where is your proof? And they don't, and they don't have real proof. And the problem is that most people who haven't been to university and myself included, don't really know what research means. Like Sasha says all the time to me, I did the research and I guarantee he didn't do the research because I know what re research is not. I looked up five other videos where I searched for, specifically searched for, does 5G cause Corona or does Corona cause 5G or whichever one it is. I found the five people that I want to find 
those people tell me what I want to hear. And what's their research? They did the same thing. And at some point, someone just made it up because it, there is no real proof. And what is real proof? First-hand accounts, multiple ones of them. You know, when we say like a Holocaust denialist, someone would say, oh, the Holocaust didn't happen. We know it happened because there's photos, there's remains, there's thousands of people who are there and say it in great detail. They can cross-reference those stories against other people. You know, there's official documents. There's, uh, 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 what do you call it, Fucking forensic evidence, right? So the, the amount of evidence that says that, yes, the Holocaust happened, is, un, is if it's deniable, then you, you can't be helped. Like, if you're at that point where you can still deny it, cool, nothing, nothing anyone says is going to change your mind. You are a pure fanatic, and that doesn't matter if it's religious or otherwise, right? But we know that that happened. Whereas with, with all these other things, there is no real evidence because you haven't got people primary source going and interviewing people, of finding pieces of paper where people signed it, of videotapes of people actually doing it. What they have instead is what they had with the Loch Ness Monster. I used to believe in the Loch Ness Monster so much, so much, that I, when I was nine years old, I wrote to the Scottish Embassy. And I was like, dear Scottish Embassy, I've figured out how you can find Loch Ness Monster. Just empty the lock. And I was like, just empty the fucking lock and that's going to be there wriggling around. Drain the fucking swamp, right? Because I believe the Loch Ness Monster based on five pieces of evidence, which at that time, it's amazing, like I had this book of like, you know, ghost stories and real, real mysteries. And the only evidence was four blurry photos that not, not, and, and this, you know, okay, they weren't, they weren't, right, they weren't Photoshop because there was no Photoshop back then, but there was, there was just a fuzzy, and that was my proof. And I'm like, but look, and people would talk for years, but you can see by the way that the waves move that it is or isn't true or whatever. And I believed, and I still do at some level, that the Loch Ness Monster is real, but that was not based on research, even though I read 10 books on the Loch Ness Monster, right? Even though I did do whatever research could be done, all I could read was, okay, some first-hand accounts, but only of one person. Four first-hand accounts, four fuzzy photographs. I believe it. I, I believe it. I still to this day. It's all very engaging to our primal brain that wants to look for the predator, that wants to look for the, the scary dark thing that we don't quite understand that could kill us if we don't understand it. So I think that's why the primal, yet again, we don't understand it. And simple as well. It's usually, again, it's, it's, it comes from a proto level. It comes from an intuitive level of fear. So that's, what, that's what's really driving people. Yeah. And, it, and you can counterbalance that primal level, which I'm not saying it's all bad. I mean, all that structure and system has helped us survive against all kinds of odds. So it's all valid, but at the same time recognising that we need to be aware and counterbalance our own assumptions and feelings with rational, logical, fact-based, you know, observational kind of analysis. Right. Uh, and uh, I think, I mean, there's a lot of ways to break it down, but w one of the, one of the, I think, the big problems, let's say, if we really try to put the finger on what's going on, I think that human beings have technologically, and, and what that also means is, like, we have intellectually kind of exploded in expression, and we have this huge, like, uh, uplift of... of technological capacity but at the same time as we've done that this is in a general on mass sense the 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 understanding of our own nature and our own basic framework is still lacking so what's what we're seeing and this is a great time for it with this whole sort of corona time is that uh people's inability to understand their own 
sense frameworks, their own their own sense making frameworks, right. leads them into vulnerable positions where then they do what groups of humans do when they're paranoid. They have games of Chinese whispers. They pass things around. They like develop like boogeymen out of their own imagination and they project them onto the world. And then they create these kinds of stories. And then that's also not to say that like the other side of this is like as we've kind of been pointing out too. This is not to discount the fact that, yes, there are selfish human beings, there are agendas, people are predatory, they can be predatory, people can and do work inside of groups, but it sort of comes back to the issue is like, well, what can we really do about it? What can you really do about it? And uh, first of all, I think it is important to, like, let's say, which we're doing to a degree, like put a frame around, like, unhealthy, which is maladaptive, let's call it maladaptive, maladaptive meaning projection mechanisms and 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 then maladaptive meaning projecting mechanisms yeah so maladaptive meaning 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 mechanisms that then create this kind of uh this reward system based on that primal predator recognition emotion right it's like i see the tiger and now i know what the tiger is yeah, everybody i'm the one who got it so yeah. i'm the one who's like i'm the i'm the cat bird right right you know so i'm the one who's sitting on top of the thing and i'm the one who gets to yell out and do the service which is a noble thing right it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a like an honorable thing and of course and the other weird thing that we do also see is that people are more than happy to be squawking in their way sending out whatever information they're trying to send out to everybody without qualifying it right. without understanding it because what if it was the predator right what if it was the evil thing because at least then i was just like i was just sprinkling out some you know some some little bit of fear to everybody because you know it's better to be afraid of the thing that could eat you and and maybe run away than not know it exists at all right even though there might not be anything that's going to eat you as well yeah yeah i think it that's a good point to look at uh, what is the point of you carrying these things inside you because let's be honest none of us are Rambo, none of us are fucking John Wick or any like superhero who with this, like the amount of times I fantasize about having like being inside an Iron Man suit and going like fucking doing something, like still I'm a 40 year old man and I imagine being in a robot suit going like into the Congo and just taking out all the Congolese fucking child soldier assholes and then going and taking out Purdue Farmer or whatever. But we're not gonna do that, are we? You're not going to go and gun anyone down. You're not going to change a regime. You're not going to. You're not going to save the world in the in the broad in the big big sense of things. You know, maybe there's five people in this generation that will do that, and there's many of us who will not. So, what are you doing with this type of thinking? And what I would say is, entertain the idea of not thinking about this at all. Right, just as an, just as a thought experiment for people who are like getting deeply into like how does it all work, how does it all connect together, and they're like, see, James is a is an Illuminati shill, just telling people to be quiet, and not think. He just wants you to go to sleep. No, I want you to enjoy your life. So that doesn't like. I wish I was more asleep than I am. Right, like I I have spent since I was young. I've I've been reading and watching and researching in as best a way as I can see is good research in that I've read left wing, right wing, communist, uh, fascist, fucking neoliberal stuff. I've, I listen to intellectuals on all sides of things. I listen to comedians on all sides of debates because they often rip about, rip apart the right bits of the opposition that should be ripped up. Like people accuse me of being a liberal. I'm not a liberal in the like modern sense of the word because feminist probably wouldn't have me, you know, or a card-carrying feminist wouldn't have me. Socialists, card-carrying socialists wouldn't have me because I'm a, also a cowboy capitalist and a womanizer, <laughs> you know. So, but I would say if you, what can you take from this is like, how do you learn to critically research? And what that, 
and at the same time probably limit that. Because one thing for guys that are interested in women is that, you know what women don't like? They don't like conspiracy theorists. They don't, what I mean by that is they don't like, in general, men that are fixated, obsessively fixated on some weird thing. And, and Unless it's good to do with their vagina or like something that they're really into, like a photographer or something, Unless right? Unless they get something out of it. Unless they get orgasms or they get more money or they get more uh, validation, then they're probably into it. Okay, that's, that's a good point. So I would say that being a conspiracy, a mad-ass, in-the-know, knows-the-truth conspiracy nut is not attractive to any women except, I know, Joanna, you're watching this, uh, except for a small percentage of women who are also into that, right? And that is a very small subset, right? Whereas if you, and, and also your, your, your mother and your friends and whatever else don't want to hear about it. Like, even though peak oil was something that for a while I was on about, like, cause the, the evidence suggests, you know, the science says that we will hit peak oil. And then if you extrapolate what happens when we reach peak oil, you can see that some fucking nasty disasters are going to happen. Right. And for a while I was like, peak oil, I'm trying to talk to people and the people don't want to know about peak oil. Right. Because everything they do uses oil. Every, everything here is basically, even this wood is somehow made of oil. I don't know how. Just everything is petroleum based. So if you, are, if you want to change the paradigm, you're going to have to give up most of your cool shit, right? And no one wants to do that. So they don't want to engage with that, right? So there's a whole lot of thinkings and theories and becoming a fanatic of, of an ideology that makes you not attractive to women. It makes other people not be able to engage with you anymore because for example, recently, Sasha just told me, blunt to my face, HIV was made in a lab 100% true. And I love, I love you, Sasha. I know you won't watch this because you're busy doing other stuff, but I love Sasha as one of my greatest friends. But how could I really be, like, what kind of relationship can I have with someone at that point where they think that anyone who had AIDS, that, it, that, it, that was injected in them by the government and, it, and all the other extrapolations upon that, right? It makes you a fucking weird thinker. The third thing is, it generates in you and projects out to other people fear and not, not fear of what you should be afraid of. I don't think, you know, okay, we, we need to be, we can't be del- just living in a delusional bubble. Sure. You, you need to understand that the, the economies are tanking, that the environment is disintegrating, that uh, rapacious corporations are fucking people over all over the world in all sorts of creative ways that are not all connected into one dot. They're connected into a whole bunch of dots of selfish cunts who want to just take their piece of the pie and, they, and they'll do deals with, collude with, fight against, cyber warfare against, cold warfare against, uh, pretend to be allies with and then stab in the back, do it in tandem with all sorts of other cabals or groups that are also doing that. And that's the thing that conspiracy theorists can't really accept is that it's not, it doesn't all sew together in a bow. It sews together in a fucking snarled spider web of self-interest, I would say. You know, you have the Chinese, the Saudis, the Americans, the European Union, the, uh, the black economy, which accounts for th- a third of the economy, right? So that's everything from drugs to money laundering to, to people smuggling to fucking illegal logging to wet markets. You know, there's a third of the economy is happening in the shadow. It's the shadow side of humanity in a, in capitalism form everything that, and they're all connected because every you know every gangster launders their money through a bank or goes and buys a maserati and uh you know or, or has every uh you know strongman has a populist uh militia or you know they all these things are interconnected but not in like this one webbing way in this like 
yeah, like a snarled web variety of webs that are trying to beat each other, collude with each other, profit from each other, or beat it, or you know, win the game. And then when you, when you start to pull it apart as a conspiracy theorist, you're like, oh, this is a mess. There is evil conspiracies happening, but there's thousands, no, tens of, no, hundreds of thousands of them happening. In fact, I'm probably doing one of them as well. I'm complicit in 18 of them, which is that, you know, I, I, I don't have solar power in my house. I just burn this and that burns fossil fuel, which, which is partially related to a war that's happening that was a part of a conspiracy in, in Iraq, for example, right? That all of that, when you start pulling that apart and going, oh, I can't make sense of this in one YouTube video. I can't sit there and smugly go, did you know that the Rockefellers and the Chase Bank and the Crystal Skulls and the vaccination all ties together into one evil man and his main name was Scullabaloo. He was so evil that no, there was never been a photo taken of him, but there was a drawing which I found in a YouTube video and now I feel quite smugly like I know what's happening on the planet and now I'm finished. Does anyone want to suck my dick? No, because I know, I know everything, and no one seems to want to fuck me. Oh, well, hang on, there's a new theory, and so on and so on. <laughs> Which is interesting because uh, the desire to want to understand the world—it's pretty primal. Perspective from the special information—you know, I've got the special information. I have to find the special information. Yet again, if we boil that down in a, in a in a simple way, it's another self-interested agenda, right? Of course. So it comes back to I want to feel significant, I want to feel special, I want to have information Be a hero. that gives me the edge over everybody else. That's actually a cool thing, like having select knowledge, having specialized knowledge, being an expert in a given field that gives you an edge over other people is actually true. That's awesome. Definitely go for that. But if you're too fucking lazy to do that and you just want to say Illuminati, lizards, fucking David Icke, whatever... Uh, and then try to be part of the, the wave of people yeah. that are in the know, yeah. um, then I think it's just a, a little bit of a tendency towards laziness. That's not to say that doing you know your own open-minded research is uh, welcome. I mean, for sure, like if you want to look into different agendas and, and the history of stuff and go deep and understand it, great. But don't fall into the trap of then making that... Uh, a need to prove something for yourself right. rather than actually seeking the truth. So we need to create a distinction. This is another big thing. I think this is the core thing about the human, the human, uh, you know, the human issues that we're up against right now is, is this idea that, um, that we need to prove something. You know, we need to be like part of some hierarchical kind of um, need to fit in yeah. rather than actually just doing the job of acknowledging the truth or paying attention to the truth. That is a very common thing that... I think is also related to a, a particular demographic. In general, if we look, if we demographically break down who is the average big C conspiracy theorist, they tend to be white. They tend to be from Western industrialized nations, like other people in poor countries don't have time for this shit. Uh, but they tend to be from the middle class or lower middle class or working class groups of men that don't feel very powerful. And maybe they used to feel powerful, right? Like maybe when the, the middle class of, of white men was a stronger bracket in, in society, but due to not just feminism, everyone's like, it's because of feminism. Oh God, so reductive. Because of outsourcing, because of moving manufacturing jobs overseas, because, uh, you know, economy is shrinking, because of globalization and because of a variety of other reasons, that group is not powerful like it used to be or, or as rich or as stable. And so they've had things taken away from them, their security and so on, and they're looking for somebody to blame. Now, some people will 
some of them will just blame it on, on easy targets like populists will sort of say, it's the Mexican immigrants, and they'll blame it on that. And then the more, and then the conspiratorial people will start digging into this stuff. And it does give you a sense of, and I've, I've met so many people who fit this exact archetype where I'm like, this is a powerless person. I don't mean that they're a bad person. I don't mean that they're even dislikable. I'm like, this person is not in power because they don't have money, they don't have influence, they're not respected. You know, they're, 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 they feel under attack. They feel, they feel like that. Right. Okay, so they... So, so, yes. Yes, you're right. I mean, David Icke probably doesn't have lack of certain things. Right, you're right. Okay, so they feel under attack. But th- that, if I now figure out the truth of the planet in my join the dots way, I get to feel like a hero, like a hero, because a hero, because I'm, I'm doing a sort of pseudo heroic action, which is saying the truth that nobody else will say. Right? And that's, and therefore I feel like I am that. And I would say that uh, uh, there's, there's several layers of people within the conspiracy theory food chain. What you have at the top is you have cynical producers and, uh, and there's definitely some of those out there. And I, I want to do an experiment where I become one of those, where we just we create the perfect conspiracy theory and see if we can market it and see how many people we can believe. Let's see if we can do that, guys. But you have people at the top who just make shit up and to, to sell things, right? And Alex Jones, he may believe some of what he believe, says, he may sure believe, but there's a lot that he definitely doesn't believe and he just says it to sell his supplements and penis pills and he just and he has to come out with new content like we do. New content every day. If you're a conspiracy theorist, what's new content? It's new conspiracies because people get bored of the old ones because they're like, yeah, yeah, we know, we already know about the JFK one. Like, what, do you, what else you got? He's like, okay, uh, turns the frog gay, this or whatever. You know, and then, and then people say, well, yeah, but what if he's right half of the time? That doesn't make him worth listening to. If he is cynically making shit up to sell his his penis pills and fucking supplements, which is, is his main source of income, so he create like we do. We create it content, we give it to you for free, so that a certain percentage of people hopefully will buy our shit. That's the way the, it works as a content creator. His content is conspiracy, so he has to come up with a new one. It's the same, you know, pick up companies that come up with a new, and now we've de- 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 developed the 3.0 system of, of texting, and it's like texting is now something, and, you know, it's just like another thing and another thing. So the point being is you have these people, cynical producers. Then underneath that you have what I would call like advocates or missionaries, and that's someone like Sasha. Sasha doesn't profit directly off... Uh, he doesn't he doesn't invent conspiracy theories to make money although he gets because he's a strong-willed character he's charismatic he has a need to be right feels good he likes being part of the alternative he's a maverick right those things that those people become the mouthpieces those are the people that are shouting it from the youtube videos and they're the ones that spread sending it to 50 of their friends right and those are the people that spread the message and they believe it then you have the consumer and the consumer is the person that doesn't make their own YouTube videos, they just, they're quietly all around the world in their own, probably more of that demographic I describe, but also lots of other people sitting there consuming and, and, and forming a belief system based on the fact they don't know how to research properly in the way that I've explained briefly. They have a need, a fear, uh, to, they want to try and make sense of a very complex world and they want it to be simple, but they don't want to believe, but they don't believe the old thing. They don't believe Christianity or that God or the, just that the government says. They're like, I can't believe that, but I want it to be simple. So then someone comes and goes, we made this really big complex thing really simple and now you know about it. And then that person consumes. And then the final level, because most people leave it there. They just, they just consume it and they think what they think. But then the, the lowest level is the people that then act upon that stupidly. And that's where that top 
all the way down to there leads to someone drinking bleach to, to, to cure corona or someone walking in, burning down towers or someone going and shooting someone because they think that they're part of the whatever else or just being spreading mis, mass mis, mis, misinformation through every network that they possibly can and, gradu- and just dumbing down that, their area of the world. Right, so I would look at that's how I would define the layers of who a conspiracy theorist are, and in, oh, I want to kind of make my final conclusion. So what I'm saying in conclusion is, of course, there's conspiracies. There always has, always will be. Some of them go right to the top, but they don't go to all of the tops. Right? It's not like that. The, the, there are spheres of influence in the planet as there always have been. Even when the kings were, were often related, they weren't in control of what was going on in Zululand. They weren't in control of what was going on in far Siberia. There may be cabals or groups of men. There is, like, you know, right now, Trump and the leader of, uh, the leader of uh, Saudi Arabia are in bed together, to, right, for better or worse, and as were the previous administrations. Every American president since they found oil and every Wahhabi leader since the, the great the grandfather started the tribe or whatever, have been part of a conspiracy, which is that America buys your oil off you, sells you hideous weapons of murder, and they're not mass destruction, but they're pretty mass destruction. And then you, the Saudis, will now use those weapons to run your own wars against the other faction of, of Islam in your vying for control of the Islamic world. Right? And the Americans don't give a shit about that, how much wars, how much murder or whatever happens along the way because they need the oil and we, we've got something you want as well, which is weapons. That's a, that's, a, that's a real conspiracy. That's something that's gone on for generation after generation and will, will continue, as it may change now that oil prices go down. But like, you know, that's something that is really affecting the world that really exists, but to get too entangled or embroiled in that is boring because it requires... It, to solve that requires, you know, handling the military-industrial complex, handling the oil industry, dealing with government oversight and mistakes, dealing with uh, mercenary armies that are dealing with the fact that we need oil to, to, to run the whole fucking show. So if we're not going to buy it off them, who are we going to buy it off? So if we're going to buy it off someone evil, then there's always a devil's bargain. You know, uh, you know, there's all these layers of mess and complexity that start coming in when you want to really untangle uh, an actual issue. And so people don't. They don't, they, they go, whoa, everything's, whoa, we live in a society, man, and that's complex, and oh, someone said, oh, you know that dit, 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 they all tie together, and it's run, one, run by one group, it's, and they're all, whatever, Jews, aliens, lizards, something, uh, Rockefellers or whatever they are, and the person's like, whoa, I get, I, oh, I'm so smart, I can see the six steps that you tied together using inferences and coincidences and correlation uh, versus causation, I'm like, smart, dude levels. I'm on levels and that, and I'm going to stay here on this level forever, which is thinking I know something, thinking I've researched something when real I've done is just watch people on YouTube. And that's all I have to say about that. Okay. So to, to add to that or to build off what you just said, I think the tendency to try to make sense of the world is important and, and that there is a huge uh, positive effect of, let's say, creative solutions thinking, which in its shadow form is conspiracy theories. Uh, and if it's kept in check with, yet again, rational, logical, kind of factual-based thinking as well, then it tends to balance out into some kind of more holistic worldview, which I think it's, it's kind of it's cool to have creative and extremist thinking about things, even if it's just thought experiments. Be very aware of falling into ideological possession, be falling into positions where 
that becomes like the absolute truth of the mm. fact. Yeah. Um, and then at which point, I mean, you have to be careful. At which point, either that's that's um, you know that's becoming more of a fanatical position of some kind. Uh, and this is also not to say it's a very hard thing because I, I guess what, what I find really challenging about this subject to some degree is it really does boil back to our fundamental need as human beings to have a place to make sense of the world, to feel confident and comfortable with ourselves and to be able to kind of get along. Uh, and of course, there's all kinds of counter um, realities to that. You know, we live in predatory environments. Some people conspire against us. Not think, things don't always work. People have blind spots in their ideologies. People get possessed by the ways that they think. And they don't want to be challenged. They don't want people to fight against them. And there is actual resources and power and benefits that are tied into that as well. So people then end up doing things to hurt each other or manipulate each other or stay blind to certain realities um, to maintain that. So it's very much what you were kind of saying. Um, so I generally think that like, it's okay to have an open mind. It's okay to think about things. It's okay to even explore paranoid thinking as long as you counterbalance that thinking with constructive thinking, with resource-based thinking. Um, which does bring me back to a really sort of important key point as well, is that as we are maneuvering ourselves through the world, trying to make sense of the world, with this higher logical, you know, rational understanding, as well as this primal, reactive, emotional way of understanding the world, that we need to kind of find some way to really process things. And this is also something that I think needs more focus and validation is that in the face of a huge overwhelm of information, including like think of some actual realities right now, never before have we had the ability to be able to tap into like um, collective conscious nightmares on a global scale. Never before, like right now, I can just look up on my little screen device, whether that be my TV, my phone, my computer, what's going on in communist China, and I can find out all kinds of stuff. I could find out things about war zones, I can find out things about hunger, I can find out things about all kinds of stuff. So I can start tapping into the empathic pain and suffering of people around the world. Now, as a member of the human species with you know some value of life, I can't help but feel something for that. So I think that's often where, let's say, the positive intention, the positive desire for people to want to get like a healthy worldview and some level of control comes from. It's like, we want to feel good together, we want to connect. And I think that the, the attempt of the conspiracy world is to try to correct that by shining the light of consciousness and the truth onto that which is the blind spot so that then, you know, the evil can be revealed and we can release ourselves. People are waking up, consciousness is evolving, you know, there's a, there's a change, the, the, the indigo children. Like, I, I get that, yeah. yeah. And I, know, I, th I remember you, I think you've become more cynical over the years. Like, I remember you really being into that like idea that there was going to be a global consciousness shift, mm -hmm. like that people were going to wake up en masse and whatever the, whatever waking up means exactly would be, you know, whatever it was. But I, I think I've seen you over the years because <laughs> see that less... It's well, that's, less. Also, that's also because of direct experience, right? Like in the sense of like... Watching people wake up and seeing that it wasn't that woke. Yeah, well, like, I mean, you, like what, what I think happens as a human being is you, you, you go through life and you set, you define a certain series of challenges and difficulties that you want to upgrade and change sometimes they're just forced upon you and you find a series of uh, you know solutions and and resources to try to solve that so i guess my point is, is that as as we come up against life and we have a series of difficulties uh that we face and then we try to employ resources in the face of those difficulties 
uh, you know, we learn stuff, obviously. And, for example, there was, there is and was a big movement that's happened probably since the 60s or so, but, you know, particularly kind of peaked maybe the year 2000, 2012 or whatever. There was a big kind of movement towards, like, you know, global change, transformation, yada, yada, yada. And that was all lined in with the mind calendar. Yeah, and the Occupy movements and the, and the anti-2008 bank bailouts, that kind of stuff. So, and I think part of the... And the Arab Spring, and, like, you know, there, there was... There's a bunch of different kind of old school, like of the 60s type of revolutionary people in the streets trying to change things. Yeah, age of Aquarius, whatever. Yeah. You know? Like the kind of the, birth, the birthing of this new era of reality. And, uh, you know, there's manifestations of that that happen. And people, yet again, fall into, myself included, fall into like ideological positions where they believe this is actually what's going to happen and it's true. And that and so it gives you a certain angle on reality and maybe you get certain benefits for holding an angle, but it also gives you certain limitations. And at some point, especially if, you know, you put a deadline on that, like it's going to happen on December, whatever it was, 2012, and that's where we're all going to become like Take me. And all of a sudden everything's going to turn inside out. We're all going to be light and just going to float through. I'm ready. You know, beautiful, uh, heavenly, astral planes. Uh, and then, you know, everybody's sitting Make love to me. Everybody's holding their breath and nothing happens. So... I suppose that's when you uh, poison everybody. Well, no, that's that, that's interesting because cult. What what does a cult leader do when they reach uh, their they doomsday? They set a new target. Yeah, sure. Yeah, or you have a ne- the next, the, then as long as the next conspiracy. So yeah. you know, what, what I've seen. Or let's like, invade the next country, or you know, there's keep like, pushing, keep rolling it, right? Like, yeah. Keep it rolling. Which I mean, that's kind of what we're all dealing with too. Is like we, we are dealing with a rolling consciousness. We are part of a rolling, you know evolution of consciousness and that has many many different expressions uh, and uh, you know we're trying to make sense of that and, and people people put you know certain milestones or fucking landmarks or statements that, that are in that territory to say this is how it's going to be mostly for themselves maybe for their communities whatever and well they rally around a figure that they make into us into an archetype you know so a populist leader that you know is just a human but they make them into something ideological and like a like a saint of some sort, to in order to just have some sense of order. Right, because we love yet again, especially our primitive brains, love this sense of like, oh, there is a big monkey who's got it all worked out, and he's just going to make everybody okay. So if we just like do what the big monkey says, then everything's going to be all right. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that that happens. Uh, now, of course, we had critical. There's a lot of that happening. Yeah, we had critical factors to that as well, and, and yet, like then, then we have to compile some ideologies and evidence and all the rest of it around that as well. So anyway, the point is that that's a process that we're all part of, and, and, and I've definitely experienced over time through, you know, seeing different levels of, of ideologies come and go in myself and in the world around me, that, uh, you know, that a lot of these more or less infantile projections of fantasies start to be dissolved with actual reality. So this brings me to a really key point, is like, the, 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 the king of all things is actual reality. So if you really want to wake the fuck up and come out of the conspiracy then start to understand your own cognitive critical thinking function and start to become a powerful individual that's able to like discern your own position in reality much more so. Right, so you don't believe the fake news that you're generating internally, essentially. Yeah, and that's also a really key responsibility to recognise in a decentralised broadcast system, you are part of uh, an information network. So start to have a little bit more discernment about the information that you're receiving, is it actually the information that is needed and necessary and healthy for you? Or is it made counterproductive to that? And do you want to be part of proliferating that in some way? Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I'm all for 
prompting and inspiring and getting people to think critically. I'm all for positioning multiple different uh, worldviews against each other to see what can come out of different um, contending positions. Yeah. Because I think we learn from having alternative perspectives. I think we learn from adopting uh, different positions of consciousness. That's part of the gift on miracle of being a human being. Like it's something that we have to work very hard to get. So we should be exercising that. And uh, I think that this is part of what can help to essentially help to liberate us from this weird confusion time that we're in. Uh, and also a big key is as individuals and as a collective, I think it would be really good for us to return back to really simple process-based practices. And when I say that, I mean like when you sit and you meditate, you're actually processing information. You're going into an introspective slash like a, a meta position of awareness where you are not particularly associated to this or that and you're able to kind of adopt and change and add new information to things. So it's one thing. Or, for example, when you see people do um, even some physical practices that give them some consistency. People do yoga. Flow state type of things. People get into flow state. Yet again, why is that stuff so useful? Because when our neurochemistry switches into a state where we feel good, we feel physiologically good, we feel mentally resourceful, then when we look at, you know, the 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 demon in the grass, whatever that is, when we're looking at the uncomfortable unknown that is in our self and around us, then we tend to have a more powerful position of counterbalance to that. And that means better critical thinking. It means being able to apply better quality resources and ultimately to try to get to some kind of resolution. Uh, so I think you know that's what we're needing to apply more and more of is, is a critical, stable processing capacity inside of ourselves and and i think we need to strengthen that foundation individually and collectively um, so that we're not so vulnerable to to a lot of these back and forths of yet again fake news. Right. and i mean the truth is that bit, like it's not going to stop I and mean, fake news and fake information and agendas and psyops and all that shit it's not going to stop no on either side on any side like just you know yes yes there will be there will be major broadcasters who have good journalists who go and do journalism Try and find stuff, and they bring it to the editor, and the editor says, "No, nah, it doesn't really fit the, our our bent. We'll just we'll just can that one. We'll, let's run with the puppy story, right? That like that is happening on every on every single side, right? Including your conspiracy heroes, because that when they say, "I've got no agenda, man. Like, I don't even sell pharmaceuticals, or like, I don't even run wars. So I've got no agenda. So you can yeah, the agenda is that exactly." that this twat gets to sit here and going, I've got no agenda and I feel so fucking cool and right. That's his agenda. Look up, what's, what's the, the redhead hilarious guy, the um, ultra spiritual life? Uh, yeah, I yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Look up ultra spiritual life if you want to like see hilarious memes of a hippie trashing hippies very well. Uh, yes, yeah, so everyone has an agenda and that yes, everyone is, it's not like that everyone is lying all the time. And that's the that's thing like, it's not that all mainstream media lies about everything all the time. It's like they, they, they have a guy went, thought, I want to be a journalist or a girl. He went to university, studied journalism, learned about research, learned about asking interviews, learned about like reading books and finding primary sources, learned about, you know, all this stuff. Joined a, if they're lucky, joined a news group of some sort, which of course has some partisan bend. Okay, they might be more lefty, they might be more righty, they might be extreme right, they're extreme. Anyone that goes onto the extremes, you're probably moving more into just ideology. But it doesn't mean that, like, the moment they walked in the door on day one, they're like, okay, you're a journalist, welcome. Do you know what journalism is? Journalism is lying about everything all the time, all the time, everything, all the time, just so you know, right? You can't, you're not, you can't write a piece of truth ever again. 
And if you find one, you better come and tell us and we'll destroy it. That's not how it works. It's like, okay, yeah, people go out, they do, you know, there's vice reporters who, although that's a lefty thing, and they will definitely not be reporting on us and saying how awesome we are at helping men. And if they do a pickup artist story, it'll definitely be one about how pickup artists, this pickup artist is a sleazeball and all pickup artists are like that. So they have a leftist agenda, which includes anti-pickup artistry, right? But that same news channel has foreign correspondents who literally go to war zones and are there with a camera talking to real people, reporting back what they said. That's truth. In the, that's not like fake news. That's, a, that's someone going and finding actual facts. Okay, now just because the, the guy that he interviewed said that, maybe he's lying, sure. Okay, and then you dig in and you find, oh, oh you know, we were talking to these commanders and they were saying this. Turns out they were lying and the kids were buried across the hill. Okay, and then it depends how much do you swallow of what your primary source is and how far do you follow the truth. But there is a pursuit of truth. There is like a real, someone did this, someone didn't do this. And journalism and science and government and, you know, and learning, these things have throughout the Western tradition since the Enlightenment at least, if, if not many much earlier, attempted to source those pieces of truth. And that's the, the main worry I have with a conspiracy theorist thinker is you will throw all that out in order to feel smugly right about stuff and therefore you will you'll you will lose the capacity to actually be critical yeah yeah definitely and that brings back just my, my bringing my final point into contrast here which is uh you know you are trying to make sense of the world and as you try to make sense of the world you're going to have to interface between the extreme opposites of reality and part of that is, is that you know in some sense you want to feel connected, you want to feel safe, you want to feel like everything is eternal love and light and there's no problems. And at the same time, you're also you know, connected to the fear of death and that everything is meaningless and nothing means anything and it's all just empty and what's the point in anything? Oh, so yeah. Out of that spectrum of possibilities, which is a vast spectrum of possibilities, you're somewhere like surfing that spectrum and trying to make sense of like, how you fit into the world. Typically, we want to be on the end of agency. We want to be on the end of power and connectedness and eternal life and all good feelings because... That's the end that we feel, you know, associates with feeling powerful and, and in the centre. Uh, whereas this other end is, is, the, is the fear. So when we learn to, um, you know, understand that spectrum, then we can have less of a tendency to get stuck in the fear. We can have more of a tendency to move into the power. We can have more of a tendency to sort of to understand how we position within that. But that still requires critical thinking and logical action and really being healthy about the way that you approach yourself and also to not fall victim to your own you know, emotional, perceptual, feeling biases and interpretations, which is the hard bit. The hard yeah, part is hard. to be sceptical about your own self. Be sceptical of your own bullshit creation mechanism, which is awesome. It's a very highly adept propaganda agency that lives in your own head and it's constantly analysing everything that you see, hear, listen, watch, everything, and it's constantly updating its database to be able to better accommodate its agenda to keep you what it thinks you should be as hard as it can. So you have to kind of have a little bit of a, a critical thinking base on top of that to kind of think, well, how can you modify that? And ultimately, I think this is the real weird trip, is that on some level, we're all carrying, you know, the global conspiracy inside of us. And if there is such a thing as a big global conspiracy, then it's only implemented through our own little distortions and misunderstandings of reality anyway. So the more that we can see ourselves and make sense of what's actually going on, then the less vulnerable we become to all that kind of bullshit. So, Dude, do you know what Shay just said? Do you know what he just realized with his own mind? That this conspiracy is inside your own mind, man. 
deconspiracepted yourself, dude. Well, all right, it's like I need to smoke some weed. Okay, guys, um, I hope you enjoyed this. And if you didn't, be honest, like, because we may never do this ever again. It might be like people like, uh, this makes us feel uncomfortable. We don't want to. We subscribe for dating advice. We don't want to hear what your political bent is. We just like to think of you as apolitical sex machines. So maybe you'll hate it, and maybe that will ruin our business, as we've seen it do to other people we know. But we probably won't do it very often. But if you're interested in me and Shay or some other combination of dudes who like thinking about this stuff from a, an academic position, uh, then we probably will. So let's, all right, comments, bring it on anti-vaxxers, bring it on truthers, bring it on Russian shills, and I'll already accuse myself. I'm a, I'm a Illuminati feminist Russian shill. I'm one of the lower paid guys, you know, they're like, so we got everyone? Well, there's this one guy and he has 5,000 YouTube followers. Send him some virgins and tell him to say the shit. We need everyone. So, yeah, I would be one of the lower rung shills. Uh, but whatever it is, go for it. If it gets too annoying, we will delete things with impunity. I promise you I will censor things as, as I see fit, and that is part of the conspiracy. And did you know he just deletes? Yeah, I'll delete him. If it's getting too aggressive or, or annoying, I'll delete him. But happy to open things up for debate. Also, if you'd like to do more critical thinking of the type that we think is awesome, then you should join my Lifestyle Design Academy, which is coming out in the middle of May. And it's not just a, it's not an academy for conspiracy theories, and we're not going to talk about this stuff all day. But part of what uh, I teach people is what are the most effective ways to think, feel, do, and be. Effective in the sense that they not do they change the world so much, or not do they fight the cabal of evil and Illuminati's, but do they mean that you get to enjoy being alive, have great relationships, travel to cool places, do cool uh, and fascinating and passionate um, collaborations with people? Because if you want to do that, you need to have better thinking technology, better networking technology than the average person. And I fucking have that in spades. Uh, the Lifestyle Design Academy is essentially my blueprint for how to take wherever you're at right now, do an autopsy and a stock take on your friends, your lifestyle, your hobbies, the ways that you have relationships, so the, the way you have boundaries or don't, whether you're a nice guy or a, or, or a, a parasite, where, where do you fit in with people, and then how do you target specific groups and people, bring them into your life using this seductive economy uh, framework, essentially so that you can have the best intel in the world. And what I mean by good intel, I mean I have good intel on seduction, right? I got friends who've got good intel on where's the best place to be a digital nomad. I got friends who've got great intel on how to do Tantra and BDSM, right? My networks are people that really have useful things to offer. They're useful as people in the sense I love them, I like them, I hang out with them. But each, uh, me and Liam were talking about this the other day. We're not really friends with anyone, really, unless it's like very old school friends or family, that we don't benefit from, that is not really good at something that we're not good at. And you might think, well, that's a bit elitist. And it is in a sense, because it doesn't make sense for people like us who are traveling, working on different projects, thinking on all sorts of different levels, researching things in different ways, and, and we have valuable skills to, to trade. How could we hang around someone who is, I don't want to say low by vibration, but just someone who's operating on a much, in a much smaller pond? I mean, I may, I may because they might be really funny or, or have some other thing or really loving or really wise in, a, in like a simple way. Cool, that still counts as a valuable currency. But the LDA shows you how that all human interaction is transactional to some degree. It's not just about money. We're trading currencies all the time. 
I'm giving you advice. This is the currency I'm giving you. You're giving me your attention right now. Maybe your attention one day turns into you coming to a workshop or maybe uh, my information turns into you getting a great girlfriend down the line. That's a transaction, it's a positive one. We theoretically both benefit from it. And that's the way I engineer all my relationships. I still, it's not just about uh, transaction, but it's that you know how to use transaction to make you and the other person feel better, get more, be richer, have more chicks and so on. So I will be opening this academy mid-May, limited release because it's a live course. I will be teaching live lectures every week, like you know, like you're there in university and I'm like, hey guys, welcome to the class. And I'll talk about stuff and we'll discuss it. I'll give you missions. And then a whole huge amount of backup material, including 20 plus hours. This is just one thing. 20 plus hours of all of the questions that I've ever answered. Right, so I've answered in webinars. I've answered 100 or more than, much more than 100 questions in depth. And they all exist on videos somewhere, but we've never cataloged them. So just for example, one bonus that we're adding to this is that we took every question I ever answered, cut it down in, and put them into categories and put them by questions. So there is a huge library. So if you're like, how do I get over approach anxiety? You look and there's like four questions. How do I get over approach anxiety? And my answers, or how do I get a threesome? Or how do I... Uh, you know, approach a mentor or whatever it is, and we, you have this massive library of, of, of my wisdom. Uh, as well as all sorts of completely unreleased material, we've got lots of MMC speeches, we've got interviews, uh, yeah, we've got lots of missions, we've got culture packs, that sounds like dystopian thing, where we give, like, guys are always asking us, what should I read? And, I'm, and I don't want to rec ever recommend a how-to book again, even though there are good how-to books. I want people to get a sense of culture, how to read novels, how to look at good comedy, how to appreciate art, how to feel, how to be a renaissance man, right? Uh, that means a man of, of art who is, a, who is in attempting to master the art of life, the beauty of it, the sadness of it, the interconnectedness of it, the eroticism of it, the power of it, the, the deals and the game, to be able to play the game in style and then to realize it's all a game and not get too caught up in the game. These and many other things are some of the ambitious things I hope to do in the Lifestyle Design Academy coming soon. So if you want to find out, click the link below. You get a free 90-minute rant as if you haven't had enough ranting. You're like, oh, no more ranting. You want more rants? We've got 90 minutes more of me ranting, which you can get right now. Click the link below. And uh, that's my plug. And that's it for today. So I just want to say a big thank you to Shane Matthews. Thank you so much for being here. It's been a good little back and forth. Mm. Yes, thanks to the real man behind all this. I'm, we're just all front men for who's really running this show. Da, 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 da. Thanks, Alex. Thanks to all the TNL brothers who are uh, elsewhere. Thank you to all of you out there for uh, sticking with us as we change our content, as you're seeing it's different than it used to be. And I think you guys are loving it. So uh, we'll see you in the next one. Who knows what it's going to be? This is James Marshall, Shane Matthews, signing out. Thanks so much for listening to the Natural, Natural Lifestyles, Lifestyles Podcast. Podcast. Check us out on YouTube at The, the Natural, Natural TV. TV. See you on the next episode.